This episode of Hockey Press Pass is presented in part by the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village. Unplug your game. Buy board games. Play board games. Food and drink. Fun and friends. Welcome in to another episode of Islanders Forecheck. For Chris Botta, I am Pat Boyle, and thought we'd give you guys a unique approach to the start of this Islanders Forecheck. A flashback to 2011. Chris talking with the late, great Bill Torrey, the architect of the Islanders dynasty. Chris? just a uh, We just thought it would be a nice treat for the fans. Uh, Jeff Goldman, my friend at SNY, was nice enough to share some files of the interviews that some i'm sure some of the fans have heard uh me do back in 2011 and one of them was with the legendary architect bill tory and for about 10 12 minutes i spent some time with mr tory and asked him some questions about players that he normally isn't asked about he's usually asked about trottier and bossy and i know a lot of the fans out there they've asked us about you know, drafting Darius Kasparaitis and trading for Steve Thomas and some of the guys from the 93 team. I did also ask him about Billy Smith and John Tonelli. So I think this is uh, hopefully a nice little gift from us to the fans that they'll enjoy. And then obviously there'll still be plenty on the other side to talk about with the current Islanders. Absolutely. So enjoy the spot with Chris and Bill. And we'll talk about the Islanders finally ending the losing streak on the other side of the commercial break. Enjoy. Welcome to SNY Point Blank TV. I'm Chris Botta. A very special guest today is the architect of the Islanders dynasty, currently a governor with the Florida Panthers, and that is Mr. William A. Torrey. Mr. Torrey, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes today. How are you? I'm real good, Chris. Always nice to talk to you. Same here. Thank you so much. You know, I'm going to flip this a little bit. If we have a little time at the end, I'm going to go back to the dynasty. But you're always asked so many of the same questions. I want to I want to go way ahead here. The 92-93 team, you might not have been the general manager of record, but the key players on that team you acquired. So let's start off with the Pierre Turgeon trade for Pat LaFontaine. There were other sweeteners back and forth, but you got Uwe Krupp, you got Benoit Hogue. What do you remember about that trade? Obviously, Pat needed to be traded at that time, but how were you able to maximize Pat's value? Well, it's, uh, you know, trading players of that quality is never an easy thing. Obviously, there was a major dispute uh, over a period of time uh, between uh, the ownership of the Islanders and uh, Pat's agent, and uh, it became Uh, various other deals 
but I always had great respect for Pierre's talents. I thought offensively he could give us uh, pretty much what Pat was giving us. Then I had to look at some other areas on our team that needed to be rebuilt, and uh, the additional players that we got in that deal uh, seemed to fit for us, at least initially. And uh, and then you have to move on. Unfortunately for Pierre, as you know, in the playoffs he was hurt uh, for the playoffs, and it really set the uh, Islanders back at that time. Yeah, but a big, big point producer that year and a good trade also getting Krupp and Hogue. Steve Thomas coming back for Brent Sutter. That, that, that trade, I believe, uh, which was right there at around the same time, had to be a tough one for you because I know your fondness for Brent. Brent maybe wanted a move, but I specifically remember him in tears that day. But in Steve Thomas, you got a player somewhat reminiscent of John Tonelli with his work ethic and his ability. Take us back to that that dealing a little bit with Chicago. Well, obviously, uh, you know, the Sutters are, uh, were a very integral part of our championship team, both Dwayne and then, of course, uh, a year later, uh, Brent, we brought him in. Uh, he was a very underrated center iceman, Brent. Uh, and he had great skills. He had uh, great intelligence. He was uh, a very, very good player for us. Uh, unfortunately, over a period of time, he had suffered a knee injury. His skating, I, I didn't think, was uh, as good as it had been earlier on. And there was signs of wear and tear. And uh, obviously also was the fact we were not scoring goals. Uh, and we had a real need for someone uh, to score, add some more offense to our team. That was the key thing with, uh, with uh, Stevie. Uh, he was a very, very good offensive player, had a great shot. And one other thing about Stevie, he was tough. Uh, he added an ingredient there that uh, we needed also at the time. Not an easy trade, uh, but uh, Brent went to a place where I knew he would be happy going to. And... Uh, uh, Stevie added to our team and gave us a real shot in the arm. So it, it worked out for both of us. Speaking, yeah, it sure did. Speaking of tough, almost fearless, uh, the early drafting in the first round of Darius Kasparitis, a unique character in, in every way. Did you, were you actively out there scouting him in addition to your team? And did you know what you were getting when you took him? Oh, I knew very much so, as a matter of fact. Uh, we had to make a deal with the Toronto Maple Leafs to move up to that's get right, him because right. I knew that uh, there was a team uh, that was drafting ahead of our position. I believe uh, if we hadn't moved, I think we were eighth, and we moved up to fifth to get him because there was a couple of teams that I knew were likewise uh, trying to, to uh, move up to get a hold of him. Darius was one strong, tough, competitive character. And, uh, he gave our team a real shot. He, he is a very special player. Uh, not big by today's standards, but really strong and very tough. The last one I want to ask you about from the somewhat modern era, it, it's somewhat of a sad reflection, but the last great Islanders homegrown goal scorer, hopefully John Tavares is going to be that one. He's certainly on his way. But it's Zygmunt Palfin. 
who you drafted in the second round at the time. I believe there was some discussion at the draft table. It was a second-round pick as to whether uh, he was worthy of that pick. He certainly proved himself to be deserving of that pick. What do you remember about the process that led to the drafting of Zygmunt Palf? Well, uh, first of all, whenever you come across in a draft uh, a player who has skills, uh, at least showing it early on in his development that he has superior skills, goal-scoring skills, offensive skills, obviously you have to give him serious consideration. Ziggy was not a big player, he was not a strong player, but high-skilled player. Uh, European player, and at that time there was obviously some hesitations about that, but uh, when you saw him play against North American competition, uh, it never bothered him. And uh, so really, uh, as always, we were looking for more offense. And uh, so he was, a, I think, a good pick at the time that we took him. <laughs> he would have been a good pick in the first round, Bill. Did, uh, how did you... uh, yeah, actually... <laughs> We thought he would be gone in the first yeah, round. Yeah, it was a surprise. How did you run your dress? I mean, our understanding is with Jimmy Devilano that you know, obviously you put a lot of responsibility into him. Uh, uh, later on, with uh, the dearly departed uh, Jerry Texeman, did did you get involved with early picks? If you knew you were picking top fifteen, did you make sure to get out on the road? Did you pretty much put it all in the hands of your scouts? I'd be very interested in your process <laughs> with that, Bill. I hate to tell you the miles that my old body logged. Uh, uh, there was never a top pick in my years with the Islanders that I not did not uh, personally scout. Okay. Uh, I still feel that in the end, it's the manager's responsibility. Uh, I take a very, I, I think the draft is, there's nothing more important in the calendar year than the draft and the players that you select there. That's what keeps the franchise going. And uh, and besides, I, uh, I, as much as I didn't enjoy all the travel, uh, I always, uh, I always enjoyed scouting, and I still do a little bit to this day. Okay, with the brief few minutes we have left, I am going to go back in time just a little bit more. I've never heard this question asked of you. A lot of this is, did, did you know what you were going to get, just like I asked before? Billy Smith comes in the expansion draft. Could, you know, you can never predict 19 straight playoff series, four straight Stanley Cups, but did you know you were getting a leader, a unique individual, a, a character, somebody who was so determined to win games when you got Billy in the expansion draft? Well, uh, you just mentioned three three qualities. Uh, whether he was going to be a leader or not, that's hard to say because of the position that he right. played. But certainly I knew I was getting a character, and I knew he was competitive. And uh, in the expansion draft uh, of the goalies that year, uh, Atlanta uh, picked, uh, made a deal with Montreal, and uh, got their back, uh, got a backup off the Canadians, Phil Mir. And uh, uh, I was a little concerned. They also drafted ahead of us and took um, uh, young Bouchard, mm -hmm. who was the all-star goalie in the American League. Uh, certainly a more stylish goalkeeper than Smitty. 
But I had seen Smitty play uh, a couple of games. He was recalled up by the Los Angeles Kings. And uh, I remember a game that the Montreal I saw in L.A. The Montreal Canadiens beat L.A. something like 8-1 or 8-2. And uh, Billy Smith was the goalie. And I remember him in the third period. Somebody went cruising through his crease. And he went after him, dropped his gloves, and, and battled him, even though the score was 7 or 8-2 against him. Uh, seeing him playing for Springfield that won the Calder Cup that year, Smitty was the goalie. And it just so happened that Butch Goring was their leading scorer as a center iceman. And they were underdogs, but they battled through. They won the Calder Cup. And they wouldn't have done it without those two guys. So uh, those are little things you store in your mind. A very, very competitive athlete. He was strong. And uh, uh, as you know, uh, he developed into really one of the great all-time uh, Stanley Cup goalies. He sure was. That was a, <laughs> a great pickup. Set the tone. I have to ask you, Bill, about my favorite player, the favorite player of a lot of my buddies growing up for my generation, the 33rd overall pick in 1977, John Tonelli. Once again, like Smith, and with Tonelli, there was some WHA factors, but, you know, it's still a high pick, 33rd overall, even though technically it was the second round. Did you, could you see the intensity, the competitiveness, the drive, unlike we've really never seen, not just in these parts, but in the history of the league? You know, one of the more determined players ever. Is that something that you and Mr. Devilano identified early on? Well, there's no question all of our scouts, Tex, Jimmy, everybody that saw him, even as uh, he played for the Toronto Marlboros uh, as a 17-year-old, uh, and went directly from there to the WHA to Houston uh, with the uh, with the Howell boys and 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 Dad uh, Johnny was uh, a very intense individual. Uh, there were no half measures with Johnny, and I think he was a terribly underrated player. He never got the All Star recognition, and to this day, he hasn't gotten the recognition he deserves. But. We would not have accomplished uh, what we did through all the good years uh, without Johnny's efforts. And uh, uh, I have very, very high regard for John and what he contributed to our team. It's amazing. You know, if you look through the montage of the biggest goals in Islander history, the 15-game winning streak, even Bossy's 15-50, the Stanley Cup winning goal, the goal against Pittsburgh with Nystrom and, and Butchie Goring and their heroics, Tonelli's nose is in every shot. The Rangers in 84, I mean, that just is not a coincidence, is it? No, it certainly is not. Very, very intense. The bigger the game, the bigger the moment. Uh, he rose to it, and like I said, I, I feel he's a very, very underrated player in the history of the game, and the history is certainly of the success of the New York Islanders. I agree with you, Mr. Torrey. John Tonelli was definitely one of the greats. Thanks for your time. Be sure to check out islanderspointblank.com for our recent interviews with the crew at SNY here, including Bob McKenzie and Mike Milbury. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. Hey guys, it's Pat and I want to tell you about Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. A huge selection of hobby and family strategy board games for sale, from old favorites to the hottest new releases. A library of over 400 board games for open play every day. Our staff help you pick out games and show you how to play. 
Find your crowd at one of our Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, or Dungeons & Dragons events for adults and kids, including our D&D after-school program, offered both virtually and in person. A full-service cafe, food and drink, coffee and desserts, beer and wine, fun and friends. Located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village, go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Unplug your game. All right, back here on Islanders 4 check, Pat Boyle, Chris Botta, and Chris, the streak is finally over. The Islanders finally win. They've got a four-game point streak, and now they snap the 11-game losing streak. They go into Ottawa. They beat the Senators in that graveyard of an, of an arena. And, Chris, ironic that we call this podcast Islanders 4 check because that's what won them the game. That is what won them the game on Tuesday night. Aggressive forechecking, getting back to the team that we're used to and love seeing, forcing Ottawa to turn the puck over in their own defensive zone. I mean, again, how much could you could you miss Anders Lee anymore? He gets two goals in the second period after a snooze fest of a first period. I mean, I was watching, I was hosting a show on CBS Sports Radio. I had it on the arena uh, in the in the studio. It was putting me to sleep. <laughs> I didn't see. I don't think I saw a single shot in that first period. But the second period, obviously, the action picks up. Anders Lee, two goals again, just doing what Anders Lee does, getting to the net, getting the rebounds, great finish off the one that goes off the boards. Uh, Wallstrom, again, who's been fantastic. I loved what I saw in that loss on Saturday. Um, you know, he, he gotten into a fight, helping out his teammates, and uh, scoring a goal. He gets another beautiful backhanded goal today. Uh, on Tuesday night, he's now got eight goals. And then again, just guys chipping in in the third period, just an all-around team effort. Kiefer Bellows scores his first goal in what, how long? <laughs> um, on a beautiful little one-time wrister. And then J.G. Pajot against his former team. You know, again, I, I don't want to get overexcited here. I don't want to get carried away, Chris, because, again, Ottawa is terrible. And they made tons of mistakes on Tuesday night, and the Islanders deservedly thrashed them. But, I mean, these, these were mistakes that the Islanders were making. And these were mistakes that other teams were making that the Islanders weren't capitalizing on. And, uh, again, I don't want to also get overexcited because, I mean, I, I think I think the Islanders are on pace for setting a record for shorthanded goals given up this season. <laughs> they give up another one against the Senators. But, look, a win is a win is a win. They finally snapped the losing streak. And, again, as guys are getting back now, you're basically just waiting for the return of Sezikis, Nelson, and Pulak. It seems like we're out of the... We're out of the bleep, right? We're out of the shit. We're out of the shit here. We're, we're through the worst part of this. No longer are the days of eight, nine guys on the COVID list and, and numerous injuries. We've made it through the worst of it, Chris. Would you agree? Yeah. And they look, you said it. A win is a win, and they needed a win somehow. This was a, a likely candidate uh, because Ottawa is not good, because Ottawa played the night before. The Islanders were arrested and waiting them so it's uh it was a needed win you knew it wasn't going to be pretty even though there were some pretty plays it was not a it was an ugly game it is nothing to boast about and you know what that's okay because they won a game they got the monkey off the back their backs they have a four game point streak now and they can still say we know we can play a lot better there are still some holes but look, let's look at the positives by the way big time honorable mention to Ross Johnson. I was at the game in the stands on Sunday, and I'm so impressed by that guy. He has come literally out of nowhere to be a 
quality fourth liner. And whether it's Matt Martin gets his job back, comes off, he's a little bit injured, uh, you know, they should find a place for Ross Johnson somewhere because he is an effective, effective player. Noah Dobson, the two kids, the two kids we were asked about when we started the show, uh, Noah Dobson and Oliver Wallstrom. The question to us was, is Oliver Wallstrom going to have a breakout season? And I said no. And I, the reason why I said no is not because I don't like his talent or his ability or his commitment or his approach, but because I know coaches are slow to give players like him more and more responsibility. And that was right, what I said, because we see there are times where Trotz is not giving Wallstrom the key shifts. But he's a special talent. I'm not saying he's a a special player, but this is a uniquely gifted guy. That shot, even when he misses the net, it gets your attention. He is fun to watch. He's kind of in that Ovechkin slot. The other team knows he's out there, and those players are hard to find. So that's a big plus. Noah Dobson stepping up with more responsibility. Uh, he has been, you know, that is a breakthrough player. And this is a guy who's been scratched. He's also missed a game with an injury. Uh, but he's coming a long way, too. So there are some good signs. They have a lot of home games left before the end of uh, 2021, the calendar year, something like 8 of 10. Uh, their, their last 10 games of this calendar year are at home against, you know, Beatable teams, not that the Islanders can say they could beat anyone, but you has to start with a win. You know, losing in a shutout Sunday, the difference between them winning that game in the skills competition of the shootout, everybody goes home feeling differently, including the players, including the coaching staff. Uh, but it doesn't work. It, it, it doesn't count until you actually get the W. They got the W against Ottawa. So it's a start. I think they have to kind of hold serve here. They're not going to go on a big streak here. They can't go on a slump. They need to just hold serve for a little while longer. That's how important to me, especially Brock Nelson, is to this lineup. So it's a start. It's a start, Pat. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Dobson. You know, again, going from healthy scratch, what, a week ago? A couple of, a couple of a couple weeks, weeks ago? ago yeah. against, uh, against the Lightning. And now he's been, you know, he's the one that's picked up the... He he has picked up the, the slack. He has held this team together a, in a large part... When other defenders like Mayfield, who took another frustrating penalty um, in that game on Tuesday night, and and again Chara, uh, it's it you know it it just hasn't worked out that well this year, and uh, you know you get you kind of ex- get what you expect from from Green, but until they get Pulak and Pellick and everybody back healthy on defense, like Dobson, you mentioned it, 21 years old, the kid has stepped up, and you know and 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 to to kind of play the way he did against Chicago as well. You know, Trot said sometimes you're forced to grow up really quick in tough situations, and I think he has. Um, you know, he doesn't have to. You know, he did a good job with Kane. He did a good job with with a lot of the guys on Chicago. That you know, they got off to a rough start. They've been playing kind of well lately. And uh, you know, you mentioned it. He's he's helping out. He is getting to the gritty areas, and and he is really really playing some clean, crisp hockey. And it's a big reason why this Islanders defense has responded in a big way in the last couple of games. You know, when they were at the bottom of the bottom, they were giving up, you know, five, four, six, five goals a game. Last couple of games now, the one the one nothing loss against Pittsburgh, which was one of their grittiest efforts during the that COVID period, whatever the hell you want to call it, like the worst of the worst. And um, you know, two one loss to overtime, three two loss in, in the shootout to Chicago. And 
you know, they made some mistakes against Ottawa on Tuesday night. You know, the one goal goes off the skate of Dobson, I think, I, I believe, too. is just kind of an unlucky bounce. And they give up a shorthanded goal, which was more so kind of an effort thing. But, again, it, like we said, they're through the worst of it, right? They're playing so much better, ten times better than they were three weeks ago. And you mentioned as they continue to wait for Nelson and Pulak to come back here, the schedule again, like that would – we're going to look back and say, wow, remember when this Islanders team, before they opened UBS, and that slog of a schedule, and then the team get got decimated by COVID. Hopefully we're looking back on that in February when this team is, has kind of gotten their way back into the thick of things, hopefully in the playoff hunt, and we're saying, wow, remember that? And remember the 11-game losing streak? Because, again, the schedule is going to be very favorable. They still have three, four games in hand on most teams in the entire NHL, and now they're going to play the majority of their games at home. And starting on Thursday against Nashville, they now have six out of their next seven at home and nine out of their next 11. So this schedule is going to be real favorable for them here in the next couple of weeks, Chris. I'll end with three quickie points on my end, and I'll throw it back to you, Pat. But for starters, let's not forget about the goaltending. You know, it's amazing they had an 11-game losing streak, and the goaltending was, was the good. best part, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 that's something, because... Sorokin, he has a moment once in a while. I get it that we wanted to nitpick, but if you really want to nitpick, on the other hand, watch the tape in slow motion and watch some of the saves that he's made that make you just go, how the hell did he do that? Yeah, he so, had a monster save on Tuesday night against Ottawa as well in the first period. Yeah, so so credit to, to the goal, to both goalies. Uh, and also, um, you know, they have to win a home game now. The, they, I would say, as much as we said, you know, monkeys off the back. Well, they, they got one more, and that's UBS. I was there on Sunday, and you could feel when it was zip zip, and then one zip Chicago. The tension in the stands. Now, I think that's a good thing. As somebody who was there so many years when they were losing all the time, to have so many people care, to see the place packed, to feel like a game that early meant so much because it did mean so much because of the hole they've dug. But they still don't have that win at UBS. They need to make that place WUBS, WBS Arena, excuse me. <laughs> so uh, that's next, right? Nashville or whoever, you know, is next on the on the docket that you would consider a winnable game. That's got to come soon. They can't let that slide go much longer. And then the last one for me is the reason to, you know, I use the term hold serve, and to me that's like six out of ten points, every couple of games, something along those lines, a little bit over NHL 500, uh, and I think that's possible. The reason why they also have to do that to get Nelson and Bullock back and, and the course of Zekas is then the GM, Lou Amarillo, and Barry Trotz, and, and Kenny Morrow, the head pro scout, they will then be able to see the team completely. Of course, there'll be injuries from time to time, but they'll be able to see a complete team for a stretch of games and then be able to fully decide with no excuses whatsoever, Pat, as to what kind of team we have here and where do we need to get better. And do we make a trade, a small trade, a big trade? Do we, you know, but but that's to me, it's like you have to get to that point. So the GM and coach, trades aren't often made this early in the season. And the Islanders are in the worst possible position to make a trade right now. But you get your guys back get your game back you get a little closer to nhl 500 and eventually to it and over it and i believe they will and then you can make 
rational decisions with your player personnel and also not have anybody try to take you to the cleaners. Because when you're losing, oh, every GM wants to help you. Oh, every, yeah. team want, every team wants to make a trade. That's not in the – the only move they can make right now would be a waiver pickup or a minor trade or something like that. They're not trading young assets for veteran players right now. They, they can't make that decision. But 10, 20 games from now when the lineup is back and they are looking a little bit – looking much more like themselves and there's life there in the standings, then you can make that move back. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one last thing I just want to finish here with, Chris, is that – for anybody that is, and I saw a decent amount of it on Twitter, and it seemed like most of the Islanders writers, and I know guys that are friends with you and friends of the show, that you know totally kind of rejected those notions, rightfully so. For anybody that, after watching what the Islanders have done the last three seasons with Barry and Lou Lamorello, for people to have called for Barry Trotz to be fired during this stretch, I mean, have you are you out of your goddamn minds? It's weird. It, it, it is. It is very weird. It's weird. If I, 2000... try to, I try to remember that it's a minority, but I will say it hasn't been a few. It's been a little more than a few for the stuff about Lamorello. Uh, it is, I, I, you would think somebody as old as me has been around as much, who's seen as much, you know, you would think nothing would surprise me. Uh, and, and I get it with fans who are also fans of other teams, as you are. You're a great sports talk radio host. You've lived this with the Giants and the Jets and the Nets and the Knicks and the Yankees and the Mets. Um, but I, it, that's, that is, you know, that's not even people have compared it to like the Premier League, right? Like I get it in the Premier League soccer, you lose three games where they cut your head off, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the way it works here. And the body of work here. Like, it hasn't just been good by Trotz. It's been, he kind of created magic. Remember what this team looked like when John uh, Tavares decided to sign with Toronto Maple Leafs. Nobody thought that this team was going to be good. Maybe some Islander fans said that's cool, but nobody thought that they were going to contend anytime soon. So, yeah, they let's say they made a whole bunch of terrible decisions the rest of this year, and we could quibble about this that, and the other thing he's got a free pass for at least a full season let's be real here. they both do all right little emerald's not going anywhere his son chris is also a talented guy he's the gm in bridgeport he's probably the heir apparent the, 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 the lamorellos in my opinion are going to be controlling hockey operations for the islanders whether people like it or not for quite a long time there isn't anyone else coming in so i'm glad you brought that up i usually don't like to tell fans what to think where they're wrong, but even for for Islander fans, that was over the top. Uh, you know, suggesting that people should get fired because of these first twenty games, COVID-ridden for half of them. Yeah, co- COVID-ridden, injuries decimated on the road, waiting for a new arena. If two thousand and eleven, if the version, the two thousand eleven version of these people who were who were calling for Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz, who's a Hall of Fame coach already. He could retire today. He'd be a Hall of Fame coach. He'd skate in. He'd walk into the Hall of Fame. For for them to call him fired, 2011 version of those people ought to jump out of their body and slap themselves in the face. Because, I mean, forget the the two back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals appearances, right, or or the the Final Four appearance last year, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, And, you know, just forget the fact that he's made the playoffs 14 times in the last 17 years with three different organizations. Um, You know, just because all of a sudden the Islanders get off to about as bad of a start as you can get. But with COVID decimating the team, injuries decimating the team, 
on the road. Now we're going to call for Barry Tr- Barry Trotz. Like, do we forget what it was like under Doug Waite, under Jack Capuano, <laughs> uh, under Scott Gordon? Like, those are the most three recent coaches I remember, Chris, before before Barry came here and has saved this team along with Lou Lamorello. So, I mean, like, really? Like, can we can we get real? Can we get real for those people that just want to flip out and be dramatic and just yell at the sky and yell yell for everybody to lose their jobs? Well, it comes full circle for this episode, and you didn't mean it. We didn't plan it this way. But you mentioned 2011, right, like the dark days. Well, in 2011, I was writing about the team, and I had a blog, and I'd go to SNY, and we'd do some videos, and we'd do some interviews. And one of the reasons why I started talking to other people was because the team was so far out of it. So, you know, hi, Mr. Tory. It's been a few years. It's Chris. Remember me, the OPR guy? You think you can go on the air with me for 15 minutes a week? Every oh, sure, Chris. Happy to do it. Al Arbor. I interviewed Mike Milbury. I interviewed Clark Gillies. The, the reason why I was talking to people is because what was going on with the team was so damn dark. So that's why that Bill Tory interview resurfaced ten, uh, from 10 years ago, and I was happy to share it. So perspective, folks, I get it. I'm a fan. The Yankees drove me bonkers this season. Like, I get it. Um, but I think I think I, I, I know Lou Lamorello and especially Barry Trotz, they get some more time to get this right. By the way, his post game after uh, Ottawa win, again, pitch perfect. He doesn't lie. Yeah, it hurts. We see the stuff on social media. Hey, Bruce Beck, even when I watch you, this is Barry Trust. even when I watch you at 11 o'clock at night and you say it, we lost our eighth in a, eighth in a row, it's a, you know, a knife in my heart. Like, like he's a gentleman, he's a real guy, and that counts for something. That, you know, that helps you be a good coach. So, no, he's, he's got a long leash, and, um, and you know what? We got it off our chest, Pat. Right? I don't think we uh, we don't need to go after those fans anymore. I, I I'm sure most of them are well-meaning. Some of them might just be a little off their rocker a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for real. I mean, and again, too, like you mentioned at the press conferences, the leadership that he exudes night in and night out, even during the toughest time. He didn't start making excuses. He didn't start folding it in. He didn't start, you know, complaining or or whining or doing this or start throwing players or whatnot under the bus. Like, he took it all on the chest. He took it all on the chin, day in and day out, saying we're not going to make excuses. Yeah, it's been tough, but we're going to keep battling. You know, I like our effort. I love that he continues to praise the things that have been good, even during the worst games of this season, the 4 nothing loss to New Jersey, the 6-1 loss at Florida. Like, he has continued to stay positive, but while also expressing, you know, like this obviously – you know, this hurts that we're struggling like this and we can't wait to get back. And I, I just, again, he, he's been fantastic. And, uh, Chris, I said it in the, what, the Islanders forecheck, the last one we did or two ones ago that we did when they were at the worst of the worst of this stuff. I said, look, I still believe the Islanders are a Stanley Cup contending team. There are 61 games to go, 61 games to go, and the Islanders are starting to dig themselves out the schedule is in their favor. They're going to play a ton of home games, and they've played 21 games when most teams have played 24 to 26. Some have played 27. There is plenty of time. I am with you. I, you know, right now let's start with a playoff berth, which I know most people would still say would be a miracle, and that's fine. I get it. But 61 games, health coming back, games starting to come back. 
the hope is that the hockey staff recognizes where they need to get better, and that could involve making some tough decisions with the obvious candidates being a Chara or a Parisi. That's for them to decide. I put my trust in them. I'm okay with Chara as a 6-7. Um, I know not everybody is. The problem is playing him a lot and play, you know, and what's that going to look like? Or are they going to get some reinforcements? Let's give that time. Bottom line is uh, they got the win they needed. They now need a home win, and they need to hold serve till they get the rest of their guys back and kind of become whole again. But I believe that they will. Well, they are going to get back in the race. I have no doubt in that. And then we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you want to talk about miracles? Islanders making the – you know what was a miracle? The St. Louis Blues going worst to first midseason and using Gloria to win a Stanley Cup, right? That, that, that's a miracle. The Islanders making the playoffs after having COVID in the first 15, 20 games of the season, it, it's not a miracle. It's very doable. And I'm not calling, I'm not calling it a miracle because I think it's going to happen. I think they're going to get into the playoffs. In, in February of the year that the Blues won the Cup, true story, Mikey, um, in February, so which I February 2019, I was with the National Women's Hockey League, and we had the All-Star game in Nashville. And it was the second game kind of of a doubleheader. And the first game was Nashville Predators against St. Louis Blues at the big NHL rink. And then the National Women's Hockey League had their all-star game. And a few weeks earlier, only a few weeks earlier, Craig Berube was promoted from assistant coach to be the head coach. I knew Craig a little bit because he had a brief stint at the Islanders. He also was at the Flyers when I was a college student and then interned for the Flyers. Just knew him a little bit to just say hi. They won that game. St. Louis beat Nashville in overtime, coincidentally, on a goal by Tarasenko. And I believe it was something like their seventh, eighth, or ninth win in a row. And Bruby's a humble guy. And he came off the ice, and he continued to walk by, and then that's where our contingent was, getting ready to move in. And he looked at me, and I just smiled, and I kind of gave him a thumbs up, like, hey, really happy for you, first NHL job. I can't, you know, can you believe this? And he just, he shrugged at me. And like, the point being, like, he shrugged and said, I don't know what to tell you, Chris. Like, this is hockey. Like, things change. He's humble and honest enough to know. That it wasn't like he installed some immediate system or that he's a 10 times better coach than the guy he replaced. Uh, it's just, it's the way it happens in this sport. It's very distinctive that way, how things can change. So I, I always remember that moment. Now, I didn't know, that, you know, it went so far. They just kept on winning. They never stopped They never stopped winning, and they won the Stanley Cup. But it's an example of how things can change over the 82-game season. And we actually, the whole idea of this, this podcast, this random side series, the Hockey Press Pass, and calling it Forecheck, was that we would check in on how they were doing because it's a long, gosh darn season. Well, we're already uh, you know, at a, a crisis point, but it's not a surprise. I think there'll be a leveling off where things will be better, and uh, we'll see where it goes. But, hey, it's going to be fun. Hey, last thing on Trotz, I thought of this when you were talking about Trotz and his thoughtful answers. I'm watching him night after night break down plays, what happened, you know, be very uh, – uh, thorough with his answers, including you know, all the questions are fine. Don't get me wrong, but they're ones he could easily shrug off and give a brief answer to. And he has the time. He's a successful guy. I agree with you. I believe he'll go into the Hall of Fame as a coach as well. He has the time to do that night after night. And John Tortorella famously 
you know, including at Columbus in his last stint, he would always say, I'm not going to break it down for you guys. I'm not going to get into what my thought was here. I'm not going to get into the X's and O's. And John Tortorella now makes a living as a TV analyst. Yep. You know, breaking it down. Time to do it when he's a coach, but now that he's getting paid, and, and that's fine. Good God bless you, John Tortorella. <laughs> but, but, but Barry Trotz is a better analyst while he's still coaching and a better person too, to have the patience to do that. And, and, uh, I just thought of that with Tortorella, like, you know, and now he's doing TV. The guy who can't answer today takes a, a few more extra minutes to answer questions after the game. So, um, hey, we will see. I'm sure we'll be back uh, with some Islanders sport checks in a, in a week or two, but we also are going to have some great hockey press passes out around the holidays and into the winter. So uh, looking forward to it, Pat. Yes, absolutely, man. We are. We've got a ton of guests, a uh, ton of interviews that we're going to be recording. So, Plenty of new, fresh episodes here to take you into 2022, and I'm sure you and I will be doing another Islanders forecheck very soon again. So, of course, for the man, Chris Botta, I'm Pat Boyle. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on next week's episode of Hockey Press Pass. Hockey Press Pass.